thank you for um, all of your prayers, all of your notes of encouragement, your emails. I've noticed a difference between the men and the women. The women come up and say, how are you feeling? For those of you that don't know, don't know I had a stomach surgery 13 days ago. So the women come up and say, how are you feeling? The guys come up and slap me on the back. And, and uh, the women are afraid, is it okay if I hug you? Yeah, it's okay. Oh, oh, no, I'm just kidding. It's okay. <laughs> I feel great. Went hiking for three hours yesterday. And uh, that was fun. Then I went and slept for five. Nope, just kidding. <laughs> well, as uh, Mark said, we are in a series uh, for the summer called Wind of Change. But before we talk about that, if you, um, some of you may have gotten this, if not the ushers have it, just want to remind you, for those of you that are here for the summer or just for a week or two, if you want something to do, we have all kinds of activities and all the ushers up at the the interest is have these that you can grab one. You can go on to our website and log in, sign, I mean, not log in, go to the website and sign up for one if you want. We have everything from Jeep clubs to women's stuff to small groups, Bible studies, student ministries, uh, women's, men's ministries. We have all kinds of things. So if you're, if you want to do something while you're up here for the summer, find one of those and connect. If it's on the list, you can join it. It'll be good. So we started a series we called Wind of Change, and we picked that on purpose because the wind or breath is the most common metaphor for the uh, Holy Spirit. That, uh, are we okay? All right. We decided that it would be an enjoyable thing to introduce the Holy Spirit to you as the Bible introduces the Holy Spirit. Most Christians, when you ask them questions about the Holy Spirit, what they, the way they'll respond is whatever they may have heard that is somewhat unique about their church. So they may talk about uh, speaking in tongues, or they may talk about baptism or filling with the Spirit, a comforter, it's all kinds of things. But the Bible gives us all kinds of information about the Spirit. So Mark and I did some brainstorming, and we decided let's just start at the beginning and introduce the Spirit to you the way that God introduces the Spirit to us. You see, the um, interesting thing about the, the Trinity, which we believe in as a church, is that God didn't tell us about the Trinity. He didn't start a book and say, hey, uh, chapter one, let's talk about the Trinity. No, this is the unfolding story of God and his redemptive movement, the way he engages life with us. So if you go all the way back to Genesis, where we started, uh, that at the base of Mount Sinai, Israel has been brought out of Egypt. That's where we started. And the very first thing God says to them is Genesis 1, and he tells them about creation. And the very first thing he says in the beginning, remember that, Genesis 1? The creation. God created, and the Spirit was hovering. Hovering over the, the chaos, over the waters. And then Genesis 1 begins to flesh out what this creation looked like. So the very first picture we get of the Spirit is he's just hovering in control. We don't know anything about him. Second thing we did two weeks ago was we looked at Psalm 104, which is a poetic expression of the creation account. It takes every day of creation and gives, starts filling in information about this wonderful creation. And what we learned from there, from that, is that the creation is uh, in keeping with all of the ancient nations. The Israelites, the ancient peoples, thought of the creation, everything you see, 
as the temple of God. So just take a moment, look at how wonderful this is. So they understood creation to be God's vast temple, and he decided to dwell in a local temple in Jerusalem. So when you get to the Sabbath rest part of creation, God rested on the seventh day, that was actually very common. That's the way they conceived of it. When the gods built and they finished their temple, then they rested. Didn't mean they stopped working. We all believe God continues to work. Babies are born, people die, earth stays together. God never stopped working. It just means he completed something wonderful. That's what that means. So the second picture we have in Psalm 104, remember Genesis? I have the spirit hovering in control. And then it says the spirit breathed life into us. So he created this vast temple we think of as creation, our world, which we love, love to enjoy. That's why you're up here, right? To enjoy the world. We think of this as our creation, but this is God's dwelling place. This is where he lives. Then two weeks ago, we started to turn. We started to move a little bit because the Bible changes. Again, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information. Way back here in Genesis, we have, we have very little by the time you get all the way down here to Revelation, we have a whole lot of information about the Spirit and about the Trinity, um, enough to begin scratching our heads in the church after the Bible is completed. It took four or 500 years to figure all this out. This is a long, slow process to understand God. He introduces himself very slowly. So two weeks, uh, last week, we start, uh, started looking at this temple, the creation. It's a big mess. It's a big mess. I'm not saying the mountains are a big mess. I'm saying we're a big mess. We're a big mess. And the things that relate to us are pretty messy. All of our relationships are messy. All of them. I suspect there's not a person here that doesn't have a, an in-law or a family member or a, a child or a nephew that you're not in tension with, at odds with. And so we begin to look at what role does the Holy Spirit play in solving that problem. Mark took us to Isaiah. Now, just a little bit about the history before we look at the passage today. The passage today is going to be in Ezekiel. That's the next big statement about the Holy Spirit. In 722 B.C., remember the um, Exodus was around 15th century B.C., so we're talking 750 years later, something like that, 700 years later. Um, the, it's a, the northern kingdom of Israel, 10 tribes, fell. The Assyrians came and took them captive, deported them, and they led them away. Led them off. King Josiah, one of the famous kings of the southern kingdom in Jerusalem, he was eight years old when he became king. He saw what happened. He thought it was wise to uh, figure out who this God is. And so he turned back to God uh, and started worshiping God, had them clean out the temple, and they found a portion of the Old Testament that they had at that time. They had lost it. They no longer even have it. The temple was just filled with stuff that was no longer being used. So they read this book and they repented and said, God, we're sorry. So he had a nice long reign and then he died. His grandson, his son, his grandson, it was disaster after that. So the years unfold and we get to 586 BC. Babylon has overtaken Assyria and now they take the southern kingdom. So Israel, as we knew it in the Old Testament, ceased to exist. 586 B.C. A lot of turmoil because there was a lot of war between Babylon and Assyria. In fact, you know, if you think about it, our history is filled with war, isn't it? It's sad. It's sad. 
I love the song, God Bless America. You know, you know what I think is more important? May America bless God. Because that's what Israel stopped doing and they ceased to exist. 586 B.C., it's a very significant point in Jewish history, in our history as Christians. At this time, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are writing. Both of them were writing during the time all this turmoil has happened. So the passage I'm going to read to you today about the new covenant, when Ezekiel tells us about this spirit that's coming, was written in 585 B.C. We can date it with precision because he tells us. So one year after Israel, the southern kingdom, actually Judah, but the, the entire nation has ceased to exist. They've been deported. They no longer exist. This is what he tells us in Ezekiel 36. Two wonderful passages just to give us hope because all hope was gone. We don't know what it's like to wake up one day and to realize our country is gone, do we? I can't think of anything more terrifying in some respects. That would be hard for us. And yet that's what happened. They woke up and they were no longer a nation. They were now slaves to someone else. So Ezekiel tells us this in Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord, and there the Lord is in all caps. Anytime you see the all caps in the Old Testament, that's referring to the proper name of God, or we believe the one true living God. So this is what this one true living God says. It is not for your sake, house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. He just talked about all the things he's going to do to judge the nations and bring back prosperity. But for the sake of my holy name, that's why God does what he does, because we are most happiest, we are most fulfilled, we are most satisfied when we worship the one true God. I'm going to do this for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. Now, you've got to remember, one of the primary themes throughout the entire Bible is God's incredible love for the entire world. All the nations and all of creation, all the animals, all the trees, all of it. His incredible love for all of it. It's his. You have profaned Israel. You've profaned my name among the nations. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. He wants it pretty clear that they didn't do it the right way. Then the nations will know that I am this one true God, declares God, when I am proved holy, when I am proved holy through you. He just got that telling him, you're the one that profanes my name. And because you profane my name, you cease to exist as a nation. And guess what? I am going to be proved holy through you before their eyes. One of the greatest truths of the Bible is God does not give up on us. Is that good? He does not give up. Here he just ended the nation and he said, I'm still going to do to prove my holiness through you. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. And here it is. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. No other God said that they're going to put their spirit in us. None of the ancient nations ever had this type of thinking. Nobody. Nobody even thought of it. How many of you would like to put your spirit inside of somebody else? So they knew the truth about you. I don't want you to see my spirit. I mean, imagine having your whole life flashed up on the screen for everybody to see. No, there's some things in there I don't want you to see. I suspect you all feel the same way. And yet, this is how God describes it. I'm going to put, he said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. Is there a greater gift in all the world than for God to just come live with us? It's a statement of his grace and mercy and love. It's a statement of our failure and brokenness because we need him. We need him. So just like clean water that he's going to sprinkle and cleanse us, that's what it's going to be like when we receive the spirit. It's a new heart. It's a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. I will save you from all your uncleanness, verse 29. In fact, verse 28, um, I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. Verse 30, I will increase the fruit of the trees, and the crops of the field, so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord, because you should be ashamed. Why is he doing it? He's doing it because of his own holiness. Because he wants to, the rest of the world to see that even though Israel failed miserably, they're no different than us. And if God is going to show compassion to them, he's going to show compassion to us. If he's going to be gracious to them, he's going to be gracious to us. So in Jewish theology, water became a catchword. This helped us understand this parable. The new covenant, when it comes, is going to be the spirit coming. It's going to be like cleansing water. So the Jews could talk about water and understand that that's a catchword. We have that in our language today. Some of your churches, I know we have a variety here. Some of you, if I say the word rapture, that means a whole set of things. If I say the word Eucharist versus communion, that says to some of you different things, doesn't it? So we have that same thing going on in our world. So water became one of those words that... that when God came to rescue us, it'd be like cleansing water. He'd send his spirit. And then in verse 37, the second of the two famous passages, here's what he says. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Dry bones passages, for those of you that have read this before. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, only you know that. I'm not, I'm not omniscient. I have no idea. So imagine wandering through the valley, and there's just carcass after carcass after carcass, just bones. That's what Ezekiel sees. He said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and then you will come to life. Isn't that the creation story all over again? breathed into us the breath of life, and we became a living being. That's what he says here. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. 
I will put breath in you, and you will, then you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. All caps. Then you will know that I am the one true living God. All these other gods that you've been worshiping all these years, they're all fake. None of them are real. I am the one true God. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was... Wait, this would make a great movie, wouldn't it? It's just a, it's, a, it's an apocalyptic story. He's using a parable. He's using a different type now of literature to communicate the same thing. When the spirit comes, whoosh, all these skeletons come to life. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath or the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath or wind, from the four winds and breathe into these slain, these dead people, that they may live. So I prophesied, he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Israel's gone. It's ended as a nation. And he just said, I'm going to breathe life back into them. So in your darkest moment, remember, it's not even a year ago that their country ended. And now they're deported as slaves all throughout the Babylonian Empire. No longer do they exist as a nation. And he says, this is the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. We are separated from one another. That's how we would feel. Just using a little bit more poetic language. Our bones are dried up. We're dead. As a nation, we're gone. All our hope is gone. We're separated from another. We're scattered all throughout these nations now. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. I'm going to give you life. Just because you've been deported doesn't mean that hope is done. You've been deported because you rejected me. That's what God says. You rejected the one true God. That's what they did. They began worshiping other gods. So God... He punished him. He said, but it's not over. It's not over. It's a wonderful truth of Scripture. God never gives up on us. Even in our greatest failure, he still loves us. He still pursues us. Then you will know, my people, that I am the Lord. Then you will know. Isn't that great? In their greatest day of failure, he says not to worry. I will come back and rescue you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and I bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you back in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. So water captured Ezekiel 36 in Jewish thinking. Wind captured the idea of the spirit in Ezekiel 37. Water and wind. These are the two metaphors that Ezekiel used to help us understand that in our most broken state, God's spirit will come and rescue us. It'll come like cool, refreshing water when the spirit comes. And it'll come like a breath of life when the spirit comes. That's why we call this wind of change. The Holy Spirit, breath, wind, and spirit are all the same word in Hebrew. Breath, wind, and spirit are all the same word in Greek. So you can mix those metaphors up. 
And uh, we named it that because, in fact, there comes a breeze. Feel it? Right then? To remind us what a fantastic metaphor that God uses to describe the third person of the Trinity. When he comes, change occurs. Change happens. Life happens. That's what happens when the Spirit comes. So, 585, 586 B.C., country ends. They've been deported. They're now slaves scattered all around Babylon, all around the empire of that world at that time. 585 B.C., God says not to worry. I didn't forget you. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Isn't that what, he, isn't that what Christmas is all about? God remembered. He came back. He didn't forget us. He remembered his covenant. Now, we've not been doing this, this series, because we wanted to unfold it as the Bible does, starting in Genesis and taking you through the kind of the great years. But uh, today I'm going to give you just a tease, teaser, because some of you won't be around next week. John chapter 3, a somewhat mysterious but wonderful passage right at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Jesus is uh, talking to Nicodemus. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This is one of the elite of the, le- the elite, one of the top guys in the nation, one of the great teachers, perhaps one of the greatest teachers, perhaps the greatest teacher. Um, not sure, could have been Nicodemus, could have been Gamaliel. These guys were all very good. These were the best trained teachers a nation had to offer. He came to Jesus at night, which is interesting. I wonder why he came at night. And said, Rabbi, we, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So Jesus, as he often does, he doesn't really respond to his statement. He takes him on a little tangent. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. So Nicodemus says, how can anyone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So Jesus says, hope, you know, how Jesus likes to clarify situations, wrong. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. My translation says the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, Nicodemus is completely befuzzled. How can this be? Here's the clue to interpret this passage. You are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? I'm talking to the brightest man in the world, and you don't get it? (laughs) I love it. Well, I think now that we have lots of years of reflection and church history to look back on and to make sense of all these passages. I just told you that the word spirit, breath, and wind is all the same. So when Jesus responded, think about this. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and wind. Where'd that come from? Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 36, water symbolizes the new covenant and the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 37, wind symbolizes the Holy Spirit and the new covenant. Nothing wrong with translating it wind. There's nothing in the passage that says holy like Holy Spirit without being born of water and the wind. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and wind. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. 
You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, or the spirit blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. God did not forget us. Israel ceased to exist as a nation, and God said, I have not forgotten you. I'm going to work through you, Israel, so that everyone will know, all the nations will know that I am God. I'm not doing it for your benefit because you should be ashamed of your behavior. And honestly, we have some things in our own country that we should be ashamed of, don't we? We have some things that are good. I'm not an American basher. I'm proud to be an American. I served in the military. I'm proud. I'm proud of all you out there that have done whatever part, Peace Corps, military, whatever you did to help make this country better. But I also recognize that we have some bad things in our country as well that we've done. We have some business left unattended to. We still don't treat people as well as we should in many cases. And that's what Israel did. They turned away from God and they began to worship other gods. But God said, I've not forgotten you. I'm going to send my spirit. And when he comes, it's going to be like cool, refreshing water. It's going to be like a breath of fresh air. That's the spirit. So Jesus is announcing right here the answer to that promise. Right here. Then you all know the famous verse right after it in verse 16. For God so loved the world. Then say, for God so loved Christians. For God so loved who? Everyone. The world. All of creation. Romans 8, Paul says, all of creation is awaiting the redemption of God. This is his creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the beginning when Jesus stepped on the earth of fulfilling that promise of sending his spirit. When we get to communion in just a minute, you may remember the second part. This cup represents the new covenant in my blood. That's Ezekiel 36 and 37. I am making a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And he did that. God did not forget the Israel, Israelites. He will not forget us. That's what Christmas is all about. He remembered. Easter is about fulfilling the covenant when he sacrificed his son on the cross. He remembered. He followed through on his promise. He is dependable. That's the God that we serve. Wind and water. So think of those two images. So we have the spirit hovering over creation, being in control, and then we have the spirit breathing life into this new creation, Psalm 104. And then we have just an inkling in Isaiah from last week that the Spirit's coming and he's going to take control of all these, these messy things that are going on in the world. And then we have this right here. The Holy Spirit is coming to give us life because we can't do it ourselves. God did not forget us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We are grateful, Lord, for... We are grateful for you. We are grateful to serve you as the one true God. But even more than that, Lord, we are grateful to serve a God who does not forget his promises. 
who is faithful, who is loyal. We are faithful to serve you, God, because you are our great God, and we have no one else to turn to. In our moment of failure, thank you for remembering us and sending your spirit to give us life. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So in response to what we've heard, as we consider it, as the Spirit brings change and brings life and refreshment, we have some opportunities for you to respond if you'd like to today. One is we're going to receive an offering. It, it is uh, all of your contributions, everyone here who's gracious to help in putting together this opportunity to hear and to worship and to have this great experience. Ushers, you can come and begin anytime. To pass that. We also have an uh, opportunity on the way out as you're going out of each exit point. There's some little, they look like lanterns, and those are for our what we call our benevolence offering. It's a community offering. We take every dime of that, give that to folks, and, and use that in a, a very wise way to help people with very specific needs and circumstances. If you'd like to give to that, that's an opportunity as well. 